This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Thank you, Tyler. After an introduction like that, I think I'm even excited to hear what I'm going to say. (laughs) Those long introductions are kind of like uh, the letters behind a guy's name. You know, you've seen that, either bachelor's degrees or MDiv, THM, THD, PhD, all those. It reminds me of a story that is told by a seminary professor that I knew. Actually, he was president of the seminary at Grace College and Seminary. <clears throat> he was an avid fisherman and even wrote a column about fishing in the local newspaper, a regular column. And he was going to fish at a little farm pond that an old farmer in Indiana had <clears throat> that was stocked with fish and One of the seminary students was a guy that worked for the farmer and had arranged this meeting. So this president of the seminary and professor brought all his fishing gear. He's just wanting to fish. And the young seminary student introduced him to the farmer and he said, he said, Mr. So-and-so, this is Dr. So-and-so. He has a bachelor's degree in archaeology. He's got a master of divinity degree. He's got a master of arts in archaeology. He's got a doctor of divinity. He's also got a doctor of theology and a Ph.D. in archaeology. The old farmer stood there and he said, Well, all them, name, all them letters behind a man's name is kind of like the tail on a pig. It's there, but it don't mean the meat's any better. that's kind of how introductions can be sometimes Pastor Todd has been going through a series on defining moments he's talked about defining moments in the life of Esther in the life of Joseph in the centurion and the rich young man And those defining moments are those moments where we come to that fork in the road where we can either go one way or the other. Sometimes it's easy to choose, sometimes it's not. But what happens when we are on the right road and all of a sudden we run into adversity or tragedy? Something crosses over the pathway when we're going the right way. How do we deal with those kind of times? How do we live into that and those moments when we face tragedy and adversity? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about how those kind of times can affect us and how those kind of times can have an impact upon our lives and bring us to a place where we're wondering, are we even on the right road? As Pastor Tyler mentioned, there's been 
some tragedy this past week. We've had a couple people within our congregation go to be with the Lord. That's always a difficult time whenever those things cross the pathway of our lives. And that brings us to a place of decision and and defining moment. How are we going to respond to that? How would God have us to respond to that? Well, I'd like to reassure you that Paul says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that means if you know Christ, you have peace with God. So that means no matter what happens, you have peace, right? (laughs) We don't really experience it sometimes, though, do we? It's hard to feel that peace, as it were. We realize what the Scripture says, but what does that mean? When are we supposed to have that peace? How can we have peace when things happen? You can fill in the blank. Peace when whatever happens in our life. How are we supposed to have peace when someone dies? How are we supposed to have peace when we lose our job? How are we supposed to have peace when a relationship deteriorates? How are we supposed to have peace when we go into financial bankruptcy? How are we supposed to have peace? Peace? Come on. That's easy to say, preacher. Put your money where your mouth is. I can hear what you're thinking. And that's about what it is, isn't it? Put your money where your mouth is. But as we're going to see today in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to learn how we can put God's peace where our anxiety is. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, Paul gives us four simple instructions on how every believer can replace anxiety in their lives with the peace of God. If you have your Bible or electronic biblical device, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have extra ones there. If you put up your hand, we have ushers that will come and bring you a Bible if you need one. And also, as I forgot to mention early on, we do have a prayer team back there by the cross, and they are there. And during any time during this sermon or this message that you feel the urge that you need prayer or would like someone to pray with you, just go back there. That's what they're there for. That's what they're waiting for. They'll love to pray with you and for you for whatever needs you might have. Philippians chapter 4. And starting at verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now I know I've been able to go to Bible school. I've had all the courses on biblical interpretation. I've even had Greek, had all those kind of things. So I've been able to look at this in the original and come up with the first instruction that Paul gives us. And I know it's, it's, 
I'll share it with you. It's pretty difficult to figure out. The first instruction is to rejoice. You didn't see that one coming, did you? (laughs) Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Wait a minute. You mean when I've been doing a good job at work and I've been getting everything done, I'm way ahead of the power curve, I'm making my coworkers almost look bad, I'm doing so good, and the boss says, hey, could I see you for a minute? And you're going, oh, yeah. Is that raise, promotion, bonus? And the boss says, you know what? Our company's in financial trouble. You're so ahead of the power curve that your stuff is in such good line, we're going to have to let you go. Praise the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Is that what he's talking about? Is that what Paul's talking about? Because too many times people look at that and they go, yeah, right. Rejoice in the Lord. I remember early on when the Lord was impressing this upon my mind. And I was studying this passage of scripture. I thought I had a handle on it. It was after my first year of Bible college. We had sold everything we had, left California, moved to Colorado where I was going to Western Bible College, which is now Colorado Christian University. And my daughter Jen, she was, I think, about three years old, somewhere around there. And we were driving from Denver to L.A., back to Southern California to see all of our family. We were homesick. My wife and I had never been away from our parents before like that. And it was, it was a tough time. So we were on our way there driving. And uh, we were driving in our 71 Pinto station wagon. And we were tootling right down the road out in the Mojave Desert. And it was evening and the sun was setting and it was all pretty. The speed limit had been changed to 55 miles an hour. So I was going 55, 56, 70, you know, somewhere around there. And the sun was just going down over the hills. said, wow, isn't that beautiful? And the car went, it stopped. The motor quit. I thought, what in the world? Coasted over to the side of the road, tried to start it, Nothing. Tried to start it, nothing. Just turn, 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 turn. So what did a young Bible college student do? Praise the Lord. No. I wish I'd have done that. That would have been a really good illustration then. No, I hit the steering wheel with my fist, and I said, Why, God? We're doing what you want us to do. We're, we're, we're being obedient to you. Why? got a little frustrated. I had brought a bunch of tools with me, all my tools in the toolbox, so we dug that out of the back. I started trying to figure out what was wrong with it, couldn't. We were in the middle of the Mojave Desert, and the sun went down. It was dark. We had a flashlight, had a couple things like that, and then I had a CB antenna because I did have a CB radio. I'd called, nobody answered, But then this guy pulls up after a while, and he pulls over because he saw the CB antenna. He was a CB guy. His 
Handel was little bit and his wife was too much. I, I still remember him. He owned, they owned the, uh, the boat rental facility at Lake Havasu, and they were just heading back. So he's used to working with things mechanically. And I had been a mechanic doing stuff when I was a kid. Well, we were working on this thing and trying to figure out what was going on, and lo and behold, we were trying to get the timing set up so that we could see if the timing belt slipped or something. So we were trying to get it at number one, top dead center. And you do that by watching the distributor and, and turning it just a little bit until the caliber gets there and the points open up. Boom, you're there. Points didn't open up, though. And I said, that's weird. Well, if you're familiar with the older vehicles that had the breaker points in them, there's a little fiber-type lip that runs on this camber, and as the camber pushes it, it opens and closes, and as it opens and closes, it sends a spark to your spark plug. And that's how it runs. This wasn't opening because that little fiber piece was broke, and it was just flapping. I said, great. What are we going to do now? This is like a Saturday night, late in the evening, in the desert. Lord, thanks. Well, this guy said, you've got a torch there, right? And I said, yeah. He says, you've got a pocket comb? And I said, yeah, I did need one then. <laughs> I could use one now if I let it grow. But I gave him my pocket comb, and he set it on the floor, and he lit that torch, and then he started melting my comb, and then it dripped a glob on that piece, and he had it set right where it needed to be, and then he blew on it, and he said, well, you know, that might hold. I thought, yeah, right. He says, let's put it in and try it. So we put it in. I didn't have any gap tools, so we had to eye two hundredths of an inch. That looks good. Got that all eyed up, got in, started right up. Wow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he said, I'll follow you into the next town just to make sure you get there. They got a motel there. He says, there's a gas station, but it closes at night. Everything else is closed up. So he followed us in about 15 miles, and that it was holding. And we made it all the way there. The gas station was closed. There was a motel there uh, that had vacancies. And we pulled in there in the little town called Yucca. You know how they named that one. Supposedly, it's for the yucca plant. But somebody went, let's live here. And probably his wife said, yucca? Here? So we pulled in there, and now it's about midnight. And then off in the distance, in the dark, you could see this great big giant fence with barbed wire and everything. And then all of a sudden, there was a line of cars coming from the distance. Thought, wow, that's weird. And the guy that was with that followed me he says, Hey, when those guys come through the gate, flag one of them down and see if they might be able to get you some help. Okay, who are they? He said, Well, that's the Ford Motor Company proving grounds. 
So I went over and I flagged one of them down and I told him what was going on. He said, oh, just go over there and push the intercom button. Talk to Dave. He's a security guard. He might be able to help you. Okay. So I pushed it. A, clo a TV, closed circuit TV camera went zzzz. I mean, this looked like a fortress. And then I hear old Dave go, what do you want? So, well, these guys told me to talk to you. I, I've got a problem with my car. What's that? I said, well, I've got a pinto and the breaker points broke on it. And they told me to tell you. And he says, what kind of car is it? And I told him to make and model and everything else. He said, wait right there. Okay. So here about 1 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning, Saturday night, in the middle of the Mojave Desert, Dave comes from the distance in the little security truck. The gates open, and he goes, here you go. And he handed me a brand new set of breaker points and the condenser <laughs> that goes with it. And I said, wow, what do I owe you? Nothing. Compliments of Ford Motor Company. Now I'm really wishing that I'd have praised the Lord from square one. So who in the world would think that you'd get free auto parts in the middle of the Mojave Desert Sunday morning at 1 a.m. from Ford Motor Company? Free! The thing I didn't learn until later is that when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice, he wanted to repeat himself because he wanted us to understand this, is we don't rejoice in the problem and the situation we're in. Our focus of rejoicing and our focus of joy is the Lord. Because whatever situation we're in, the Lord is with us. God is not on his throne and has never ever said, oops, on his throne. He is on his throne. Everything happens, happens for a purpose and a reason. All things work together for good for them that love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. We rejoice in the Lord when the problems hit and our focus is on him and that goes closely with the next verse Paul said rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice and then he said let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near we're to respond as though we believe number one and that's realizing that in the problem or situation we're in, that the Lord is right there. We are not alone. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even if you're in the middle of the Mojave Desert with nobody around you, you are not alone. He is there. He is with you. His Spirit lives within inside you. The Holy Spirit of God is within you. And you're not alone. And God did not say, Oh, ooh, I let that one get by me. So that we can rejoice in the Lord 
no matter what situation we may find ourselves in. And then we respond by letting our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near. So you're not going through problems alone. When you come to your defining moments in life and you deal with tragedy and adversity, you are not alone. God is with you. And we need to understand that. And when we do, then we can realize, yeah, I can rejoice in the Lord. When I get that phone call, and I've gotten those in my life, the phone rings in the middle of the night and you answer it, and it's a family member that lives across the country that's crying and all broken, and you're thinking, oh. And you go, yeah, what's, what's going on? And you find out one of your close loved ones has died. Oh, you don't, you don't hang up and go, oh, rejoice, yes! But it's, okay, pray with them, hang up, and say, Lord, thank you. And I rejoice in you, Lord, that when this moment of tragedy has just hit me right in the gut, that you're there. And I'm not going to go through this alone. You're with me. Thank you, Lord, and I rejoice in you. And I praise you that you're going to see me through this and you are going to be honored and glorified above all things. That's what Paul is talking about here. That when those times hit, we respond by letting that gentleness know. That means you don't have to hit the panic button, but pray. And that's what we're going to see in just a moment as we continue. And then we're, we're, we're going to see that no matter what adversity of life hits us, that the Lord is there and he's with us. We're not alone. Now the third instruction that Paul gives is in verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Prayer. The third instruction is to request of the Lord. Bring to him your grocery list of heartaches. Bring to him whatever's eating away at you. I mean, it's that, you know, the old picture that they have in the, in the movies of a guy says, oh, you want to know what's wrong? And he's got this little roll of paper and he undoes it and he and it just rolls out. Give that list to the Lord. Every bit of it. And talk to the Lord about it. Lay your heart out to him. And say, Lord, I thank you that you're here. I thank you that you're with me. And I know you are. And I'm requesting to you right now, God, that you will show me which road to take. Because this is a defining moment. Which way do I go, Lord? What do I do? What would you have me to do? And you know what? If we do that, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And in verse 7, 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. I thought that was good, and then I studied it in the Greek, and it was even better yet. When he says that the peace of God, which passes all understanding or transcends all understanding, that was a tough thing for them to try to define into the English language. But you can do that with modern vernacular. Basically, he's saying that the peace of God, which will blow your socks off, it's a peace that goes beyond understanding. In other words, it's a peace that should, should not be there, but it is. It's a peace that you can't explain. You can only experience. That's the kind of peace. And the peace of God, what is that? That is an attribute of God himself. The, God of, the, the, the peace of God. An attribute of God. And that is going to, to put a guard or put a garrison, put a hedge around your heart and your mind to protect you in those tough times. Wow. Something we can't explain, but we can only experience. Something that'll just blow your socks off because you're going, wow, I have peace right now, but I shouldn't. But I do. Thank you, Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Respond as God would have us to respond. And in request to him. And the peace of God that will blow your socks off will keep your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's awesome, is it not? But Paul wasn't done yet. Paul wasn't done yet. Because in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers. Finally. Now, why why do they say that in Bible? That means the other things I've said are what I've said that leads up to this. In other words, this was his conclusion. This is what he's leading up to. He said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble... Whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. What he's talking about is our mind to be able to recollect God's track record in our lives, God's track record in the lives of our brothers and sisters, in Christ, God's track record throughout the hall of Scripture of God being faithful to people time and time and time and time and time again in their troubled times. This is dealing with our thought life. And if those things are noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, all those things... We need to saturate our mind with those things because one bad apple will spoil a whole bunch. When it comes to your thoughts and what you let in your eye gate and your ear gate, it is so important. 
I remember one summer back when I was in, we were going to school, we had another family that had kids as well. We were all together. We were having a barbecue in the summer break from school, and, and we were grilling stuff, and, and my wife had made some, some uh, sautéed zucchini with the onions in it, big bowl of it. We had some fresh zucchini, and oh, man, that's good. I was just waiting to chomp on that, dripping in butter and everything else, you know, all the good things. And as we were out there, we, we gathered together, and we were going to pray, and we said, okay, let's everyone pray. And as we got ready to pray, and we were holding hands, this great big moth come flapping by and went right in the zucchini. But my wife is quick. I didn't even need a five-second rule for that. It was a .5-second rule. And she had the ladle and went, and she flung that thing out of there and scooped a few more things out. Guess how much zucchini we had left after dinner? Yeah, nobody wanted it. There couldn't have been any more moth residue in it. But to us, it was no longer clean. That's how our minds are. When we let the improper things in, and we let the things that tear us away from God into our eye gate, our ear gate, and we let those things into our mind, that will hinder us. In our defining moment, that's taken a wrong turn. But if we can keep those things that are admirable, those things that are noble and lovely, all those things, and we can practice those things, and we can apply those things in our lives, and we can recollect the things that God has for us, and we recollect all those things, then he adds the rest of the verse, and the God of peace will be with you. Whoa! Did you notice the little transition of words? Same words, different order. It went from knowing an attribute of God, the peace of God, now it's with the God of that peace. Wow. That's what he's talking about. The peace of God and the God of that peace. Does it work? Yeah, this passage works. The Lord taught it to me a long, long time ago. And at all those defining moments of my life, when things were the roughest, this has been my go-to passage of Scripture. And in my Bible, there's no less than 10 dates that are written on the bottom down here. And up above, it says Philippians 4, 4 through 9, T and P, tested and proven. And there are dates that are crushing moments in my life. Those times when I did get those phone calls 
back in 1985 in June that my 17-year-old niece had been killed by a drunk driver. Wow. Tough time. And even before that, one of the earlier ones in 1977, when my grandfather died on his 83rd birthday. Kind of upset me a little bit. And that was the first funeral that my family asked me to help in because Grandpa would have wanted it. That was tough. And in the many other dates, when my mom died, and then my dad said, well, we just figured you'd do all the services. And I ended up having to do my mother's funeral service. I thought, I, I cannot do this. But I said, thank you, Lord. I rejoice in you that you're going to be with me and I'm not doing this alone. And I prayed. And I talked to God and bore my heart to him. And then I remembered the track record of how God has worked in my life through this and how God has been faithful to all of his servants throughout Scripture. And when it came time to do that service, I had the peace that blew my socks off. I couldn't explain. I'll try. The best illustration I could find is it was like my life is a motorcycle and I'm riding the motorcycle, but now I can't because I'm so distraught. And I said, God, I can't ride this motorcycle. I can't drive this motorcycle and do this. And God said, it's all right, Lou, scoot back. And he got on and grabbed the handlebars. And he did it. God did it. Because I not only was knowing the peace of God, but the God of peace was with me. That's why I wanted to share that with you, dear ones. So that when you are faced with those difficult, difficult defining moments of life, that you might have a go-to scripture to not only help you through it, but help you to become closer and not only know the peace of God, but the God of peace himself. You see, the Christian can replace anxiety in their lives with the peace of God. Sounds easy to say, preacher, put your money where your mouth is. But I challenge you today to put God's peace where your anxiety is. As the worship team comes, I would just like to share one more thing. That if you're here today and you don't know the God of peace, you first have to be introduced to him through the Prince of Peace the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you will never know the peace of God unless you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. 
If you're here today and you've never made that decision for Christ or you're not sure if the decision was the good one that you made, this is the time to go back to the cross right now and talk to those people back there. They will point you to the Prince of Peace.